thank you for that, but I got you and Leonard a few silly neighbor gifts, so I'll just put them under my tree. Wait, you bought me a present? Uh-huh. Well, why would you do such a thing? I don't know, because it's Christmas. Oh, Penny, I know you think you're being generous, but the foundation of gift giving is reciprocity. You haven't given me a gift. You've given me an obligation. <laughs> Don't feel bad, Penny. It's a classic rookie mistake. My first Hanukkah with Sheldon, he yelled at me for eight nights. Uh, honey, it's okay. You don't have to get me anything in return. Of course I do. The essence of the custom is that I now have to go out and purchase for you a gift of commensurate value and representing the same perceived level of friendship as that represented by the gift you've given me. Well, it's no wonder suicide rates skyrocket this time of year. No, he's too late. I see it. That elf sticker says to Sheldon. <laughs> the die has been cast. The moving finger has writ. Hannibal has crossed the Alps. <laughs> I know it's funny when it's not happening to us. Sheldon, I am very, very sorry. You no, know, no. I brought this on myself by being such an endearing and important part of your life. <laughs> I'm going to need a ride to the mall. It's happening to us. Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is Peter Boyer. If you haven't had a chance to meet me yet, I'm one of the elders here. Um, you don't see me up here doing this very often, but I've been watching very closely the last few weeks to get ready for this, watching what the preachers do. And what they do is they, they take that stand from over there and they move it somewhere over here. They put one or two pieces of paper on there that they hardly look at. They have a bottle of water that they put on the floor, but I had too much for Christmas, and bending over is not going to be good, so I'm going to leave this here. Um, that's, a, that's a funny clip. I, I'll, I'll confess, I like watching the Big Bang Theory. Can you identify with this Sheldon character? I mean, they show this so that we can laugh and, 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 and mock him. Are you a little bit like him? Is, is there anything in that little clip that you saw that resonates in you in a good or bad way? And you go, you know what, if I'm honest, I'm kind of a little bit like that. I'll have to tell you that there's a very strong part of me that's very much like that. Not just because I took a degree in physics like these guys. And by the way, I spent five years at University of Toronto taking a degree in physics. And there are people exactly like those characters. <laughs> I went to school with them. I hope I'm not one of them. There's a part of me that has this weird idea of of what fairness is. And so I want to talk today about the trouble with fairness. And I think the best way to describe this is to, is to tell you the way that I used to think. Now, for the most part, I'm, I'm better. My wife would probably be the judge of that, and you can talk to her about my dysfunctional ways of thinking about these things. But in our early years of, of marriage, I think I made her just a little bit crazy when it came time to gift giving because I had to make sure that it was fair. If I gave my son... 23 things. I had to give my daughter 23 things. And those 23 things better add up to the same amount of money for each of them. And there, if there's two of those 23 things were like really big, ah, uh, wow things for him, I, I had to make sure that two of the things for her of those 23 were big, ah, uh, wow things. I have a couple of props here. And I didn't do this just because I knew we were going to have a snowstorm. These are a couple of scarves that my wife, Debbie, just made for my son and his girlfriend of eight years. And this is, this is the first one she made, and it's a lovely scarf. I'm not going to try to describe the, 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 the stitching or the sewing or the, the whatever, whatever. I have no idea. 
it's, it's nice looking. What my wife doesn't realize is that when I saw her making these scarves, the first one, this was great, watching her make this for my son's girlfriend. This was great. It's kind of a camo thing, and she's into that. Um, there's a lot of space between the stitches, but it's really nice. It's the colors just are really good for her. And then when I saw the one that she was making for my son, I'd like to say that I'm completely better, but there was a little part of me that's just, that old part of me is, that Sheldon in me is going, hmm. See, because this is thicker. This one has holes. <laughs> this, one, this one weighs 47 grams more than this one because I weighed them. <laughs> I don't know how many times during the process of her making the second scarf was I asking her how much wool was in that compared to the other one and how much did it cost. I'm a work in progress. I don't want to talk about scarves. What I want to talk about is this idea of what is fairness. Do we really understand what is fairness? Let's talk with something that I think we're all common with, flipping of a coin. Coin flipping goes back to the time of the Romans. And back then, they would flip a coin to make a decision. And in their mindset, back then, flipping that coin, the decision would be the gods talking to them through the flipping of the coin, telling them which decision to make. Nowadays, we just look at it as a, as a random process, and we assume that a coin is fair. We flip a coin, and we assume that it's fair, and it's going to give us a, an answer on a yes or no decision, this or that. Um, we make this assumption, and we're so committed to the fact that this is, a, this is a fair thing that we start football games with a toss of a coin. Uh, back in 2003, the city of Toronto actually awarded a tender to a company who was painting lines on streets, over 1,600 kilometers of, of, of street lines uh, in Toronto, that the tender was actually decided on the flip of a coin. To this day, the country of England still decides public elections that have come to a complete draw, vote for vote, they still decide that on the flip of a coin. We assume that coin flipping is fair. Well, is it really? So if you, if you want to go take a degree in statistics and probability or save yourself that incredible boredom and just go on Google, you can find out some very interesting things about coin flipping. And one of the things is if you take something like an American penny, you flip it, 51 times out of 100, it's going to land in your hand the same way that it started. So if you had tails up and you flip it, 51 times it's going to end up with that same side facing up. 49 times the other way, on average. It's not exactly fair. Now, I understand why. It's because the engravings on each side of the coin are not exactly the same. And you really see this if instead of flipping a coin, you know, do this sometime. Go into a bar, not that you'd ever do that, but go into a bar, sit at the, sit at the, at the counter, a nice hard counter surf, and say to the guy, hey, you got an American penny? He'll take an American penny. And you'll say, listen, I want you to spin that penny. Just spin it. And for every time it comes up heads, I'll give you 25 bucks. For every time it comes up tails, you give me 25 bucks. And I'm going to let you spin it. You're probably thinking, well, oh, maybe I'm feeling lucky today. So if he, does, if he did that, you're actually going to go home after about 25 spins. You're actually going to go home with probably about 300 bucks in your pocket. 80% of the time, that's going to come up tails. Coin tossing, coin flipping, it's not fair. But we have this idea that it's fair. What about people? Are people fair? <laughs> Are people fair? Well, the actual symbol, I got a, I got a lovely image here. The actual symbol for the justice system, whether it's in the States or in Canada, we had this, almost this icon 
that fairness is really represented best by somebody blindfolded holding a scale because that's basically an open admission to ourselves that we actually are not fair. We don't know how to be fair. I can render a decision based on all the evidence as long as you don't let me actually look at the people involved. They use this in the legal system. They use this in the, in the, in the world of science. Studies are done. They're called blind studies. And if you really want to make it fair, then you do double blind studies. If you really, really, really want to make it fair so that absolutely nobody can contaminate them with their opinions and their biases, then it's called a triple blind study. There's no such thing as a perfect study of science because people are involved and people fundamentally are not fair. We know this. We study this. Psychologists, psychiatrists, brain scientists, people who deal with people know that people are not fair. When we make decisions, we don't do so in a way that's fair. How so? Most of the time, we will tend to favor ourselves over other people when it comes to rendering a decision about character. Let me give you an example. So we come to church this morning. I'm late and Grace is late. Now, I know that Grace is late because she's just undisciplined. She didn't look ahead. She didn't get the forecast. She didn't look out to actually see that she needed to nudge her husband and say, you got a shovel. Um, complete character flaw. That's my attribution to her. However, when she says to me, you're late, well, of course I'm late because we had a lot of snow this morning. Uh, the alarm didn't go off. Uh, my wife spilled coffee on me. The kids did this. Well, I, I start making all kinds of excuses because I don't have a character flaw. <laughs> we all do this. It's called the fundamental attribution error. We all are not fair when it comes to rendering decisions about ourselves and other people. We're just incapable of rendering that, those kind of decisions. So what's fair? What's fair about things that you're going to get, things that you want? First time I think that I really remember being introduced to this idea of fair, what's fair, and, and to see the trouble with fairness is in when you have kids. And I'm sure it showed up earlier. I'm sure that this actually shows up probably when kids are just about coming out of diapers. You'll hear the expression, that's not fair. A anyone ever heard that, come out of the mouth of a kid? Anyone ever said that as an adult? Stay honest. Yeah, that's not fair. Um, First time I had a chance to preach in, in, in a year and a half, and half of my preaching time was cut down this morning because of a snowstorm. That's not fair. <laughs> I'm okay with that. My daughter was, uh, was a couple of years younger than my son. My son started school. They both had a bedtime of 7 o'clock. My wife had this idea that once they started school, that my son should start getting his bedtime increased a little bit later every year, and so came to the decision about 15 minutes every year, every school year, at another 15 minutes. So when we introduced this, I already knew that there, there was going to be an absolute monumental meltdown in the house because my daughter was going to go out of her mind. That, Mommy, that's not fair. Well, no, he, Christian's in school now, and you know he, he, he gets to stay up a little bit later, but that's not fair. When you get to that age, I'm already going in my mind. Is she out of her mind? She's trying to rationalize and use logic with like a four-year-old. This is, this is not going to work. This is impossible because she's never going to get that this, is, this makes sense because it doesn't. He's going to bed 15 minutes later. Well, actually, it's 30 minutes later because he got to start school a couple years before her. So most of their time growing up, she was going to bed half an hour before him. 
and I don't think she ever actually got over it. Well, about somewhere, somewhere mid-high school, by that point, both of them were going to bed way later than us. We were going to bed before them, but that's okay. We see this. We see this in workplaces. It isn't just with kids. We see this in workplaces. Uh, I spent my career working in the federal government, and the federal government, if, uh, if nothing else, uh, is very consistent because they're driven by this thing called political correctness, which really, at the end of the day, really means that you're making decisions based on nothing that makes any sense in the real world. You're, 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 you're basing it on this weird idea of what fairness is. And here's the one point you need to always remember. Everybody must have exactly the same thing. Everybody gets exactly the same thing. Everybody deserves exactly the same thing. So when I first had a chance to, uh, to take over as the manager of the Hurricane Center, I, I, I really was confronted by this in a whole new way because I had one of the members of my hurricane forecast team who I wanted to send to a conference down in the States, and it was a conference on hurricane forecasting. I couldn't send him because it wasn't his turn. What, what, what do you mean? You have to send her. She hasn't been to a conference this year. Yeah, but she, she's an aviation forecaster. She doesn't forecast hurricanes. That doesn't matter because that's not fair. It's her turn. Long into the story uh, and happy into the story, I was very pleased to be able to help change that process so it made sense. We don't always just, we're not supposed to get exactly the same thing. What we're supposed to get is what we need. Unfortunately, if we just think quietly inside of our own minds, we base the idea of fairness not on what we need, but on what we want. This is what I want, and if I don't get what I want, well, then that's not fair. I can blame you, I can blame my kids, I can blame the preacher, I can blame God, I can blame my wife all the time. And I will say this is not fair. What are we really talking about? What, what is actually fair? And one of the things that I'm very pleased to see now in industry, companies that are doing really well, companies that are growing, that are being successful, they're employing a different approach. It's actually a, a page right out of the playbook of the church. It's out of our playbook. It's called something called substantive equity. It means you don't give everybody exactly the same thing. You give them exactly what they need. If what they need is to have this, you give them that. It doesn't matter if it if that weighs 47 grams more or less than the other thing that this guy got, it doesn't matter what the cost, it doesn't matter what the numbers, it's what they need. I want you to just pause for a second in your own mind. Think about the last time that you felt that something wasn't fair to you. Just get something in mind. Did that happen three years ago? Did it happen this morning? Chances are it happened a lot sooner in the past than you might be willing to admit because most of us do this most of the time. So let me give you an example of, of, of the ridiculousness. I'm not talking now about fairness in coins. I'm not talking about fairness in, in what... I just want to move to a whole different way of looking at fairness. So this is a story I've told before, and, and it's such a good story. I'm going to tell it again. So for those who've heard it, please bear with me, but... You're standing, you're standing at your kitchen sink, you're doing something at your kitchen sink. It's sometime mid-morning and the doorbell rings and you go to the door and there's a man there and as you open the door, he hands you a, a $100 bill. Probably haven't seen one of those for a long time. And he said, I am giving this to you. Uh, it's, it's from an anonymous benefactor. There is, uh, there's nothing you need to do to earn it. Uh, it's, you can't know who this person is. God bless you. And he walks away. And you don't even have a chance to answer. 
Thanks. We get to eat tonight. The next day, somewhere around mid-morning, it's probably around 10 o'clock, you get a knock on the door, you go to the door, here's that same guy. $100. He said, this is from an anonymous benefactor. You don't have to do anything to earn it. There's no, there's no reason that I can explain to you. He just wants to do it. God bless you, and he walks away. Third morning, about quarter to 10, you're looking at the clock. <laughs> sure enough, 10 o'clock, the door, the door knocks. Same thing happens again. The fourth day, you were supposed to be out that morning, but you've actually cleared your schedule because you want to be home at 10 o'clock. The fifth morning, you're standing there with the door open as the man walks up the steps. On the sixth morning, you're there, you're waiting, you're so excited, and you watch him walk right by your front door, and he goes to your neighbor's house with $100. And you hear yourself utter the inane words, that's my $100. That's not fair. Now, you hear a story like that and you go, well, that's ridiculous. I would never do that. We do it every day. We do it every day. Unless you're phenomenally mature, we do that kind of thing every single day. The scriptures talk a lot about fairness. First of all, the scriptures say that God is fair. Uh, he's a just God. He's fair. It talks about the importance of kings and rulers and judges being fair. This is a, this is a noble character quality. But yet some of the stories that we read, if we have this old Sheldon-esque idea of what fairness is, we won't see fair. We'll see exactly the opposite. We'll say, this is, this is messed up. This is completely wrong. The scriptures talk a lot about this. Look at the New Testament when Paul in the Corinthians talks about how the, the church is like a body. We're all different parts. We're each given different gifts. We're not given the same gifts. There's no point in having, you know, 300 elbows. We don't all need to be an elbow. I don't know if you're an elbow. I don't know if you're an ankle. I don't know what you are. But you're what we need you to be if you're a member of the church here. This idea that not everyone is supposed to be the same. In fact, it's not everyone gets to be the same. Everyone gets to be different so that we can work together and be exactly what we all need us to be. So the concept is there. And yet the church in Corinth struggled with that. Some of them were saying, I, I like the gift that he got. How come I didn't get that gift? And Paul, in his letter, basically does the equivalent of a smack upside the head and says, you know, grow up. There's a story called the prodigal son. It's not actually that word in the scriptures. That's the, what we have come to know it as. And even if you're not a Christian, you've heard of this story. Basically, a, a man has two sons. The youngest son one day just says, you know what, father, I want, I want half of the inheritance. I want half of what is owed to, or what's owed to me. I want to go off and do my own thing. So he goes off. He's gone for a long time. He squanders it. He literally squanders it with prostitutes and wild living. He ends up being broke. He ends up working for a pig farmer, realizes that conditions were better back home for the guys who worked for his father. He comes back home. His father sees him as he's coming back home. He's ready to just come home and be a hired hand working for his father. Father gets all excited, throws him a big party, and everything is wonderful, but it's not actually wonderful for the older brother because the older brother is saying, wait a second, I've stayed here the whole time. I've continued to slave for you. That's what he says. I've slaved for you. I've, I've done all the things you wanted me to do. You, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't throw me a big party. You're giving him the fattened calf. You, you wouldn't even give me a goat so I can have a party with my friends. He didn't even come into the party. And the, and the father said, oh, no, you need to understand. What, what I have is yours. You've always been with me. But your brother has come back. He was lost, and now he's found. This is a time to celebrate. This older brother just, this is not fair. There's another, another story in the scriptures. It's a really good story. It's about this 
this landowner who has, a, who has some land, and he wants to hire some guys to work in the vineyard. So early in the morning, he goes out, and he hires a bunch of guys to work in the vineyard for the day. And he says, I'm gonna, if you come and work in the vineyard, I'm going to pay you a denarius, which is one day's wage. I want you to pay, I'm going to pay you a denarius. You come, so that's great. Nine o'clock, he realizes he needs more workers, so he goes out and he gets more workers. Twelve o'clock, noon, he goes out and he gets more workers. Starting with the group at nine o'clock, when, he, when he, he hires them, he says, come and work for me for the rest of the day and I'll, I'll, I'll pay you what's right. He doesn't say he's going to pay them a denarius, I'll pay you what's right. Twelve o'clock, he goes out and gets some more. Three o'clock, he goes out and gets some more. Five o'clock, day's almost over. Five o'clock, he goes out and he gets some more guys and he brings them in. Well, the evening finally comes. And he tells the foreman, okay, I want you to start paying these guys. Start with the ones who came in last. So he, he pays them, and they're happy because he gave them a full day's wage. The guys that came at, 11 o'clock, or at 5 o'clock, he gave them a full day's wage. He did the same thing with the guys that came at 3 o'clock, with 12 o'clock, and 9 o'clock. When the guys who were hired first thing in the morning got there to get their pay, they were also given a day's wage. And they said, wait a second. That's not fair. We've been here slaving all day long. We worked the whole day out in the hot sun. That's not right. See, the problem is when we start comparing ourselves like that, somehow we feel that when somebody else gets something good that happens to them, it somehow diminishes us by not getting the same thing. When the reality is it's got no impact on us at all. In fact, we're told in the scriptures, rejoice when someone rejoices. Do you think the guy that got paid a full day's wage and showed up at 5 o'clock, do you think he was rejoicing? (laughs) not fair. Here's what the landowner said in response. He answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius for a day's wage? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Oh, man, when it comes to this business of generosity, We so screw up this idea of what fairness is all about. Fairness is is a whole different thing when you see generosity, especially when you see extreme generosity. Extreme generosity is something, it's something you don't, you you, you can't expect, you can't imagine, and you you know when you see it, especially if you're the, the recipient of extreme generosity, you know that it is beyond your ability to even reciprocate. And when that happens, well, let's see what happens. I have the, the, the end of the story I want to show you from that first clip at the beginning. So Sheldon was demonstrably agitated. He, he was visibly bothered by the fact that he had now had this obligation. But what you didn't see was his solution. He had this genius solution. He went out and he bought for Penny six different gifts of increasing value. And then he was going to let her show, here's what the gift is. To, and then based on the gift that he got, he was to be able to determine the, the approximate dollar value and importance. To, and then he was going to feign illness, go off in the other room, pick the right one of those six presents he bought, give it to her, and then return the other five on Monday. Let's see the end of the story. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. How's your leg? Very good. Thanks for asking. Come on in. <laughs> oh, good, Penny. You're here to exchange gifts. <laughs> You'll be pleased to know I'm prepared for whatever you have to offer. Okay, here. I should note, I'm having some digestive distress. 
So if I excuse myself abruptly, don't be alarmed. Oh, a napkin. Turn it over. To Sheldon, live long and prosper, Leonard Nimoy. He came into the restaurant, sorry the napkin's dirty, he wiped his mouth with it. <laughs> I possess the DNA of Leonard Nimoy. Sheldon's a guy who has literally no emotional intelligence, and, and he was given to uh, a display of emotion. He was crushed. This is what extreme generosity looks like. When we're on the receiving end, we are crushed by it. it. It humbles us to the point where we are crushed. We realize there's nothing that we could ever do to give back in a commensurate way. It is just not possible. And this is the message of the gospel. This is the news of what God had when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Many years ago, and I don't remember how long ago it was, but in one sermon that Greg preached here, he, he gave to me what was the two best working definitions of the words grace and mercy. He said, grace is receiving something good that you don't deserve, and mercy is not receiving punishment that you do deserve. The love of God through Christ shows us what grace and mercy looks like. And when we realize that, when we apprehend that, when we just... Just stop and consider, what does that mean? It crushes us. It humbles us to the point of, well, we can hardly talk. We can hardly think because there is nothing. There is nothing in the entire universe that will move a human heart quicker than when we see that fairness has been set aside for something greater. Because, you see, we actually deserved punishment. We actually deserved death. And he said, no. I, I love you too much. But you see, he is fair. As much as you might say, well, that's, that's not fair. If, if we got what, we, what was fair, we would be all punished and we would all deserve death. And you'd be right. But God realized that his love for us was too great. He couldn't set aside his justice because that's not who he is. But he also couldn't let us continue in that punishment 
without trying to do something about it. So he sent his son. And he said, you, you aren't able to meet that obligation. I'm going to meet it for you. And he sent his son to die for us. This is the way of God. This is the way of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to shift right now into a time of communion. And in